the Edward Hutchinson podcast. We are here for another episode, and I'm really happy today to be joined by Tony. Tony's Voboda, is that mm-hmm. the right connection? Yeah, close enough. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I, I presume you get some issues with that occasionally. Yeah, all, my whole life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I can imagine that, because it's, yeah, it's the S and the V together. It throws people like, off. Yeah. Like... Um, but anyway, Tony is um, a uh, loan advisor with RPM Mortgage. Mm-hmm. I've got that one right, because you yes, changed sir. company. You were originally with a bigger uh, oh, a few no. years back. Well, I was with uh, First Capital Mortgage when yeah. I started my career, and then they've changed. Uh, then I was with RPM since 2012. Yeah. Then I had a brief stint. I was with MCP for like six months, or almost a year, actually. Yeah. And then I went back to RPM. So I've been with RPM now for another two years. So I, I more or less say it's been since 2012. Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of had a little gap in yeah, between. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. fascinating, actually. I want to get to chat about that, because that's definitely something as an agent that we hear a huge amount about, because we get a lot of brokerage is uh-huh. constantly contacting us like oh come and hang your license with us yeah and da, da, da. yeah and i want to know what that's like i can I, I can uh, i can speak someone okay so everyone listening out there thank you for tuning in um so tony is obviously more in that mortgage and loan side of the industry mm-hmm. um which actually i think is really fascinating because as an agent we get to see certain aspects of it you know when we're introducing a client over and we're getting things approved but it's kind of like we're one step from actually doing that yeah so unless we're going through actually getting mortgage refinancing loans ourselves, I feel like we don't actually get that like on the ground experience day to day that you guys get to see, which is really valuable actually market data. Yeah. Seeing what things are selling for constantly at scale, yeah. what people are doing, are they refinancing, are they products? But Tony, um, you've actually been, so you say you've been a mortgage broker here for a while, isn't it? Because I think I looked at your website earlier today, 2001 yeah. was the career start. That's right. So that's been 18 years. Yeah. So does it feel like it's been that long? I feel like I'm an old timer. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it definitely, it's, it's very interesting. I think about it, um, like everything that's, that's been, that I've gone through since 2001. I mean, yeah. from the beginning, then uh, the rise to the, like when I started in 2001, my first uh, loan I did was a 30 year fix at seven and a quarter. Yeah. My very first loan at seven and a quarter. And I think from that point, that was the highest rate because shortly after that, the rates just plummeted, and the real estate industry took off, and yeah. it was like it was the like crazy back. chaos for nine years. Because that was the weird thing. Because I always talk about it. Occasionally, I've spoken to my parents about you know when they first got their first mortgage, and they talk about it, and they're like, "Yeah, I was paying like 13 percent." Yeah, and that was uh, in the eighties, I think, was yeah. kind of when they yeah. were doing it. Yeah, it was. It was in the eighties. In the eighties, it was uh, almost twenty percent, I think. Uh, the highest which is kind of crazy and yeah. it, it makes me think that we're in a little bit of like a I mean that class that I talk to now and they're like oh rates have just gone up by like a quarter of a percent yeah and then they're like oh you know it's <laughs> kind of restricting my budget slightly yeah. and I'm a bit like, it's like yeah but it's not exactly that high in comparison no. to what any other generation has paid for in mortgages no. yeah I mean it's really I mean rates will fluctuate an eighth a quarter yeah. three eighths almost daily you know to some extent but sometimes if you know if it's a big move it will fluctuate, but it's funny how the public perceives, you know, a rate adjustment of a quarter. Yeah. You know, and they, it sounds like a lot to someone who's not really in it every day like us. Yeah, and I suppose actually when it's a quarter, a quarter of a percent when it's, you know, usually like a 4% loan, as opposed to a quarter of a percent when it's a 20% is quite a big change. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's actually like makes it like, okay, wow, it's actually getting, you know, it's yeah. a lot less budget for what I could have potentially had Absolutely. if I was spending that. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Okay, so, so you got into the industry in 2001, straight away in LA. 
yeah never was, were kind of working in other markets you all? know for a minute i was really green when i started but for i i did a few deals in san diego i worked for this company um and i was brand new yeah. like uh, hadn't ever just knew nothing basically and i was inputting some loans and um i had lived in la for since uh like 94 okay so i went to san diego for about um, four months and i when i was there in san diego i just went to work with this company and that's where I first learned about mortgages. My um, my uncle, who's a real estate, he's a, he owns a company in the Midwest, and he said, you know, you really should get into mortgages. Really? So I got my real estate license. Yeah. Back then, we needed to have a real estate license. And uh, I went to work for a company as just this assistant, I guess. I mean, I was just working for a couple of LOs, and I inputted data for them, and then I was looking for a job in L.A. as a mortgage originator. Wow. And I ended up getting one, a friend... Through a friend, but yeah. So that's kind of crazy. So you didn't like grow up as a kid thinking I want to be a mortgage. Oh God, no, 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 no. But my, but I will say that uh, if anything, I thought I was going to be a real estate agent if I was going to do a career. Really? Yeah, I. It it wasn't in my, you know, I didn't have aspirations to be a mortgage broker. But my uncle, and my family was sort of in the real estate industry since since growing up so So i kind of had some exposure to that okay yeah so if anything i thought maybe i'd be a a real estate agent because that is the weird thing that i kind of think because all the mortgage brokers i know are actually really great people they have a great job and they do an incredible thing but i always think about that because no kid is really generally coming across yes they're like oh mum and dad are buying a new house (laughs) yeah but it's not like they're you know dealing with the mortgage broker or it's kind of like a little bit of a hidden yeah Especially from that young generation. So I can't imagine there's a huge amount of kids who are like, I want to be a mortgage broker when they're like five years old. No, I can't imagine either. I think, no. you know, because there's, there's, it's, it's really not a very glamorous job, you know, like, at least it wasn't back then. I yeah. mean, with social media now, it's become, you can get a little bit, if you want, you can Definitely. put your face out there. But um, no, back then it certainly wasn't. Real estate was way more, you know, in front doors, and billboards yeah. and, you know, advertising. So nobody knew about the mortgage. In fact, I didn't when my uncle said you should do mortgages. And I was like, because I kind of had a capacity for numbers. Yeah. Um, although I, could, I think I would have done well as a real estate agent even in the beginning. But for some reason, I just got into the mortgage side. And uh, um, So was that like you were at school of maths and like numbers was kind of where you were most I mean, confident? I, and- I'm, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I have a little bit of both like really? left brain and right brain yeah. going on. Yeah. So uh, my dad was an artist. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was good with numbers. He's passed away, but I, I should have asked my family. But so I kind of grew up with an, my dad on the artist side, creative. creative community. Yeah. And then I grew up with my stepdad and my mom. Who My stepdad was an attorney. Okay. So he was a little bit more, you know, on the scholarly thing. And yeah. Paperwork and sitting yeah. down. And- yeah. And somehow I, I was in the middle, you know, I went to business school in college and, um, I got a business degree, and I kind of wanted to be, even back then, I was like, I want to be an actor, which is why I moved to L.A. originally. Wow, okay. Yeah. So, um, but I had this, um, I did okay in business school, you yeah. know, in, in, in college. Um, but I wasn't a math wizard, you know, like, yeah. I wasn't going to MIT. I went to Kansas University. Okay. And it was a great, it's a great college, but uh, and it was a lot of fun. But, um, but you know, so, but I don't know where I'm going with this, but to, but when I got into the, real estate industry, I, I, I figured, you know, I wanted my weekends, which is kind of why I, I started to lean towards the mortgage. Yeah. And my uncle said, you should try mortgages. 
I think he'd be good at it. And I yeah. think he just knew me personally, kind of what my capacity was. And, and one thing led to another, and I was doing loans. That is really interesting. Yeah. So, because that's a huge amount of people I kind of come across is a lot of people move to LA, and especially, I suppose, at that time, because it was like movie industry, you want to be an actor. Yeah. If you want to do be an actor, this is the kind of the place to be. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people that I see who come here, like try and make a career after a couple of years and they kind of either move back to where they came from yeah, or they're kind of doing a side job and then doing a bit of acting kind of thing. Yeah, like absolutely. working yeah. in a restaurant or whatever it is yeah. and then trying to put their like nine to five day kind of schedule. Yeah, what's interesting is that when I first started doing mortgages, yeah. so I got this job in LA. Yeah. And I honestly, to be in looking back, I knew nothing. So, but they put me into this real estate office on Sunset Strip. I mean, okay. of like this kid, you know, I've been in LA for a while, but I was still from Kansas, a little bit green, and uh, I didn't, I really didn't know what I was doing. But I got thrown into this real estate office, and back then it was kind of, it was, it was busy, it was chaotic, and yeah. you know, it was just like get it done, and and that's when you could get things done with loans, pretty, you know. Not like it is today without all the regulations. So but yeah, just get them through fast and sign yeah, that. And yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, um, but uh, I was battling with what, you know, like what I wanted to do for a career. Yeah. Like I didn't think I would be a mortgage broker. Um, I didn't move out to LA to be a mortgage broker. Yeah. But the, my, I, I just kept working. You know, I was just showing up every day and working. And I kept getting more business and I was doing better. And as I got more successful, and, and I mean even a short amount of time, let's say two-year period, yeah. Uh, I say this with humility, but I, every almost every paycheck I got for every two weeks, it was like a record. Like, really? I mean, I kept my paychecks kept getting higher and higher so and more and more, and I kept looking at them like, oh my god, like this is another, this is like the best month I've ever had or the yeah. best paycheck I've ever had, and I was seeing big numbers, and as I started to see these big numbers, I was like why would I even want to do anything else right now? So yeah. I just surrendered. And uh, when I surrendered to being a mortgage broker, I said, okay, I'm, I'm a mortgage broker. That's you my career. And I went all in and I just took, it just took off. Really? Yeah. Like I, I, from that point on, I was, I did so well. I was very successful. And so big... if there's someone out there who's listening, who's like, you know what, actually they find themselves in a similar situation or maybe they're, you know, looking at the mortgage industry and they're like, actually, I think I could see myself doing that. Mm -hmm. Is there anything where you would kind of turn around and be like, this is kind of what was like, what you focused on, which you found in your early days brought you a lot of success? Because it is a lot of socializing and kind of picking up new realtors and because obviously they have clients who are going to need your products and... Yeah. Was there anything there that like really was, kind I was of your key? I was really fortunate back then because I was in a real estate office, mm -hmm. which um, it it made it it didn't make it easier, but it did provide me an opportunity to be in front of all the agents. Yeah. So I learned how to work it from that angle, like the FaceTime kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I kind of learned how to you know um, under promise and over deliver, but the thing is, I would say is. Really getting, I, I, I became obsessed with learning the industry. Yeah. Um, because I just I was there face to face. I mean, I, I was in the room. And they're gonna be and, asking. Yeah. You and so like, if I if I didn't know what like, yeah. you know what how did what this program was about or how if this part, person can qualify, so, I mean I think that was where when I surrendered to is when I really started to study. You yeah, know I okay. studied a lot, 
and I wanted to understand how everything worked. And so was that a time, 2001, is the, were there computers? Because computers were around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were they being used in the industry kind of regularly by everyone yeah. at that point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, although, you know, it was a different, it was different in the sense, like, I don't think, I don't know what social media was around back then, but I don't think there was Nothing any. Really, it was yeah. just, you know, like emails and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think Facebook was probably 2006, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the first big one, I think, yeah. where everyone was like, what is this? Yeah. Maybe MySpace. MySpace, like, yeah. Around yeah. Or something, maybe, yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. So when you were back then, though, you literally, if you were checking what rates were doing, everything like that, it was on a computer screen. You were tuning in to kind of see what the banks were doing, um, and that's how you would keep on top of the market and the rates? Well, actually, um, yeah, we probably would get emailed rate sheets. Okay. And back then... Um, it's a pretty even today. It's it's actually it's it's kind of chaotic in the sense that every lender has a rate sheet and a matrix, okay, and we yeah. get the rate sheet and the matrix. And so I'd have to study how to read a rate sheet, but how to quote a rate. Because yeah. you can it would be the worst is to misquote something yeah. um, on either high or low because it can come back to bite you. And the matrix. So the matrix is like this one or one page or two page, you know, if this and that. You kind of just gotta follow it along to see if how someone might qualify yeah. and maybe call the loan rep and run the scenario just by there verify and, it yeah sure. so we back then and we would just get these rate sheets uh and had to go through and just know Work it out in your own brain every yeah. yeah every lender every investor has their own has different rates and programs and yeah. different things so um that's where a lot of it came you know like a lot of the studying um, and then it was always changing. There was new lenders coming to the table, like yeah. seemed like every other month. And so, w was there ever a point where you were kind of like you wanted to go and work for just one bank in house kind of program? Thought about it. You did. Yeah, and that's a great question because um, it 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 was a it it's always been something to consider. But um, having for whatever reason, yeah. I just landed at a a company that was a, a brokerage and yeah. and. Um, so that's where I, and that's why I always say, like, I was raised in a real estate office yeah. as, a, in a, as a mortgage broker, not as a, not, I didn't work for a big bank. Yeah. So all I really know is that, but um, I understand big banks, I know how they work, but I just grew up with, I, I liked having the ability to broker out. I liked having the ability to do a lot. Yeah. And most of my loans are, I can do, you know, like from the beginning, a paper, straight, forward big bank loans but I can also do the quirky alt-a yeah. things you've got a client in a weird situation you need to kind of find yeah. a way to get them the loan yeah and that's that box that gets bank. me excited yeah like you know I, I I'd rather do that than work at a big bank and do one kind of one yeah streamline of transactions or one loan programs because that's always the thing with me because i you know we obviously deal with brokers from the kind of big banks you know bank of america they've got you know their own guys yeah. that do their in-house stuff and then mortgage brokers who are independent who are arranging loans with all the banks and obviously there are some amazing banks out there that have great products but it's never i find that one bank's got all the great products that do the entire market that's right so i think if i was a mortgage broker and i worked for one of the banks i'd be like tearing my hair out a little bit because yes, if you have that one client who fits all that parameters, this is perfect. You are going to have the best loan, and that's great. Yeah. But equally, I mean, you kind of got this thing over your head, which stops you from doing anything but the products that they're actually putting yeah. out there. Yeah. I think I'd go a bit mental. Yeah. I mean, I I, I definitely enjoy. Again, I I enjoy the create. 
I get a lot of excitement out of someone who comes in and it's a challenging situation. Mm -hmm. And almost, there are no loans that, no loans are equal. I mean, you know, and it's almost impossible to take a rate off a shelf and just say this is the rate because yeah. it's, it's really much more complicated than that. But yeah, so I, I really liked having the idea of being able to offer a wide variety of programs to my, to the clients. And yeah. it was absolutely necessary to be working in a real estate office to have that, to have access to a variety of programs. Okay. Yeah. So is there, um, so originally then you're not from LA, Tony, you're from Kansas, is what we just said, because you just got back from there. Kansas City, yeah. So was that kind of, you were raised in Kansas and you kind of were like, I want to go and live in the, because Kansas City is still a main city. Yeah. And it's maybe not quite LA no, size scale. It's not, yeah. but yeah, it's still, it's, it's a city. Back, even growing up, I felt it was a big city, but the reality when I moved to LA, I realized Kansas City is still a small, big city. Yeah. It's a Midwestern city, but it's a great place to grow up. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so do you, you head back there quite regularly? Cause you got family I try to go there. once or twice a year. Okay. Yeah. Probably my family would love to see me more, but yeah. yeah, I do have a lot of friends and family there. Yeah. And so when you kind of got to, when was it 1994? You said you moved, you were like, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to be an actor in LA, just move straight here and never looked back and thought actually you know what I want to raise a family back where I came from um pretty much you know it's funny because I had a uh I got this great job when I was before I, when I was in Kansas City I was yeah. a I was a big avid golfer I grew up playing a lot of golf oh really still um, play uh, some yeah, yeah some I haven't played in a while but I, I like to play and uh I was pretty good back then too but I got a job um working for TaylorMade Golf Okay. And this was out of, out of Kansas City. And back then, TaylorMade was huge. Everything. Callaway and TaylorMade were yeah. like the two biggest companies. It's a dream job. I mean, honestly, it's an absolute. It was an absolute dream job for anyone. And I was Especially a young if you're kid, a big golfer, and you love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so the point is, is that after about a year or a year or so of doing that job, I had such a strong desire to come to LA. Yeah. And I couldn't. I couldn't shake it. You know. And so. Is that because you'd visited it and you were kind of. This is where I want to be? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, and I did come visit once or twice before I actually moved. Okay. I had a couple of friends here. And, you know, that's an age where you're still coming of age. You know, it's an age where you're still, you, there's so much ahead of, yeah. uh, there was so much ahead of me and I wanted to like see the world and I wanted to get out. And um, I had this little bit of a fear that I would be, um, uh, you know, I would spend the rest of my life in Kansas City really? working this job because it was such a great job. Yeah. And I was it's weird to say, but it was so good that I thought I, I might never I might not ever leave unless I get transferred or something. That's fascinating, yeah. So I just took a chance. I, it's a big risk and I'm kind of like that but I just said I've I've got to I've gotta go yeah. to Otherwise LA. you're gonna regret it probably. Abs that's yeah. absolutely. So I uh, yeah, so it was kinda of crazy, but I quit that job and moved to LA to be an actor or you know or yeah to be an actor and not have a career that it was really crazy. bizarre yeah that yeah. is and were there any other kids that you grew up with who did the same kind of thing not a lot really no yeah. no because actually my wife's family they're all like chicago but she's definitely got a lot of like her friends who lived in the surrounding areas and that kind of thing and they a lot of them when they were younger always talked about oh well i'm gonna move to new york or la or whatever it was but there's a huge amount of them who now I talk to them and they're like, I love Chicago. I'm going to live here forever. Yeah. But it was kind of when I first met them, it was like, I'm going to go and do this. And then it was almost like they found themselves comfortable yeah. in their same spot. And I don't know if they will regret it necessarily, some of those people. Because America is so big in that way. Yeah. And you've got that whole central zone. It does become... Yeah, I think that my friends who I who I 
just saw recently. Yeah. You know, I think for the most part, they're all very happy yeah. and they have great lives, you know, and it's kind of fun to go back and see, you know, they have, their kids are, I mean, their kids are in college, you know, some of them. Yeah. And, you know, I probably would have a kid in college yeah. had I stayed. Um, and I, you, you know, have kinda, the kids young and you I look back, England, yeah. yeah, I look and I think this could have, this could have been me, well, you I, know, maybe, uh, I might've been 20 pounds heavier. I don't yeah. know, but, uh, I could have had a couple of kids. The accent know. probably a little more Kansas. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, um, so I look back and I think I, I'll look at that all the time, you know, yeah. but they're all happy and they, that they, they stayed and that's what they wanted, yeah. you know, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Okay, so maybe let's move a little bit, Tony, onto like mortgages, the rates, because mm. we started talking about kind of obviously back, you know, when you first started, rates were a lot higher. We obviously, I think, have had like, it seems like since I've been working in real estate, which has been 2012, that it's kind of just been a constant, uh, small ebbs and flows, yeah. but it's been affordable in comparison to like looking back at history. Yeah. Do you look at the market and you're like, wow, we're just over lending and we're giving people almost too much money and we're going to kind of have a situation like we did in like the 2009 situation where, because I remember because I was working just kind of after that period in yeah. London yeah. and London is a bit of a weird one where it's because it is like the one major city in the UK, there's obviously a lot of other big cities but it's not like LA and New York and Chicago and like all these London's London. Yeah. And so I think we lost like 10% on prices in 2009 and uh -huh. they went back up 10% in 2010. So it was almost like we had a little hiccup, but then I was looking at some of the mortgage products there where they were giving people like a hundred percent and at not at ridiculous rates. It was right. quite a competitive rate. And obviously watching like, you know, with hindsight and looking back on it, I'm a bit like, how did anyone ever think that this was going to be affordable yeah. to the masses? Yeah. Do you ever worry that we're kind of, we're doing that, but not going to the extreme of that like 100% loan kind of situation? Well, um, I can speak, you know, I try to, I do follow some on a national level, yeah. but you know, when I think about most of my daily, day to day uh, businesses, obviously in Los Angeles, yeah. and, um, I don't worry about it too much. I mean, I think that there, there are talks of a recession coming yeah. and there are talks of rates remaining low up through 2020 and through, you know, through 2020. Um, but it, it, the lending guidelines have become so rigorous. And they still are. And they, they for the most part, you yeah. know, there, but there, are, there is money coming to the table that is a little bit more, that's a little less stringent, mm -hmm. a little less. More, they offer some opportunities for buyers to come in. But I do think it's responsible underwriting and res like there's an ability to repay uh, on a lot of primary residence loans yep. and an ability to, to show ability to repay. I think we didn't, we didn't have that much when, before this all started. Yeah. And I think that there are also still a, a lot of homeowners with untapped equity Yeah. that they haven't been able to get yet. Definitely. Um, and there's sort of waiting in the sidelines. Especially and, like my parents' generation and older, I find. Yeah, it's kind of like they bought their house 25, 30 years ago and actually what they bought it for compared to what the market value of it right now yeah. is just dramatically different. Yeah. And if you in, in L.A., you know, we have a lot of self-employed freelance people in the industry. Mm -hmm. And unless they have the documentation to show that they can qualify for a loan yeah. by, by the lender's guidelines, yeah. you know, not their own, but by the lenders, that's that's where it's become. It, it, they just can't refinance or they yeah. can't access equity to pay down debt 
or whatever. And that's money that's not getting into the system, which I think would be helpful and, you know, as a, as a whole. Yeah. But I don't, you know, there are, there are even lenders who will do, you know, 97% financing. There's FHA who does, you know, that can do 96.5. Yeah. Uh, and some cases there are uh, loans available with zero down. Yeah, really? Um, but they, you know, in certain areas or up to certain limits. But I don't, I honestly, most of my, uh, uh, not most, almost all of my deals are, at, you know, 10, 20, at least 20% down. Yeah. My average loan size is about 700,000. Okay. And at that level, there, there aren't a lot of uh, zero down or very low down, but it does exist. Yeah. I mean, and I actually, uh, I just did a deal at, it's a $3.3 million sales price at 15% down, okay. which is really low. Yeah. But um, And the, the borrower happened to have a BK, actually less than four years, seasons less less than four years. Wow. So it's a pretty good loan. and But they, they needed to pr- prove the income to, you know, to get the loan. And so, you know, it's a, it, it's, it's not, it's a risky loan, but not as risky as it was before. Where that you know they wouldn't even need to document the income. Yeah. You know. Was there moments in that kind of two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine kind of crash, or the lead up to it probably, where you were kind of doing mortgages for people or seeing other mortgages that were being taken out and being like, "This is crazy." Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There were. Um, you know, we we our company was we had the first capital was great. We would have meetings and you know be like just be responsible. Like you know really? these these loans could, could be come back and and bite the borrower so explain yeah. that you know if they choose to get this loan but i remember thinking you know i would see um what it's kind of a trickle down i mean the thing is like there's an investor in wall street who yeah. wants access to mortgages so they hit up you know a level and then that, that level looks at us and says okay here's the program that we want to offer and then they 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 send me a flyer and i look at it and it's like a zero down loan up to 1.4 million but it, and I just was like, I can't believe this is available. You know, like it's really we're really pushing the limits. But then the but, economy has been great for quite yeah. a few years, and you're like, wow, this is the future almost. Of yeah, it's possible. Yeah. And so, and I remember thinking, well, someone must know something I don't. I mean, because it's not my money I'm lending. It's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a huge insti- some institution in on Wall, Wall Street. Yeah. You know, now pre- now they're presenting this product. Big name on the actual so, thing. Yeah. yeah. So, so those that that happened a lot. You know, yeah. I was like, but you know, eventually. It, it stopped. It's actually it stopped abruptly. But so, did you have any clients after that who had to foreclose and kind of lost their property? I mean, you know, I didn't. I I don't get notice. Yeah. But yes, you know, there were. I know. I know for sure that clients had gotten into trouble and they had to sell or they got foreclosure, um, and or they walked away. But that was you know quite common all over LA. Yeah. It's just, but. You know, people were the foreclosure filings started to really skyrocket around that time, and homeowners just felt it easier to walk away. Really, they're just like, like you know, I'm gonna just lose walk. Yeah, down, not but... even not even try to get the money to. They just walked away from the home. Really, and that's what was scary, you know, because when someone. But I think that's what is slightly different now. I mean, so they're not the lending guidelines. They're not lending to. I mean, it's hard to say. But, on a blanket level, but they're not really lending to those individuals who might be more inclined to walk away if they get into trouble. Okay. And I think that that 
to some extent, I'll give credit to the underwrite the risk and the guidelines that they have put together yeah. so that they can underwrite responsibly. Yeah. Um, and those homeowners are probably less inclined to walk away. Yeah. Especially if they have equity in the game. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the key. And then that's why we're seeing, you know, 10%. Whenever I'm talking to a client, they're like, what, you know, someone who's not actually really looking to buy, they're like, oh, you know, if I wanted to buy a house in the next couple of years, that just conversation with your friends, yeah. you know, what do I need to put down on a property? And I'm like, 10% really is kind of the minimum of what you really should look at. I think, yeah, and I think, you know, even if they could put 5% or 3% down, yeah. it's possible. And yeah. sometimes, in trust me, if it's, I will, um, I love talking to the, to potential homeowners about this because I got I like getting a gauge of what their game plan is how yeah. they what they're you know what they want to do if they haven't starting a family or whatever maybe yeah. Yeah. yeah because sometimes it, you know a three percent down also you got to make you know look at their portfolio and say you know look you don't want to you don't want to spend use every penny you have for a down payment yeah. you need some to save and so yeah. sometimes it makes sense and, yeah so I like I like that process but um but ten percent, and ten percent will give you de decent programs and rates. Yeah. Twenty percent, you'll get Much better better terms. Yeah. Yeah. So the le the lower, you, the less you put down, the worse the terms are in yeah. general. But and uh, the higher, uh, and you're yeah, you're going to be in a bit of a situation where yeah, your overheads are significantly more because you're yeah. you're paying more on a bigger loan basically. Yeah, and there's like mortgage insurance or you know FHA has upfront. Um, MIP so things like yeah. that can co get costly yeah. and there are fees that you might be able to avoid uh, by putting a little bit more down yeah so the sweet spot is 20 percent but 10 percent is minimum like, kind of it's a good it's down. a good starting point okay mm -hmm. okay so do you think that there's any worry that it is going to go back that way over the next like 20 30 years because it does seem a little bit like when it first happened 2009 situation all the banks were like, no, 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 we're going really strict and we're mm -hmm. going to shut all of this down. Boom, we're only going to give you this. You have to tick all of these boxes to get it. And it feels like, you know, fast forward 10 years, it has started to seed slowly. They're like, okay, maybe we'll do this, maybe we'll do that. Yeah. What I worry about is because sometimes I look at like history, I love looking back at like how we kind of seem to repeat the same things yeah. over and over again yeah. as society. Yeah. And I worry that in like 30 years, the generations below us are going to be like, oh, what do you mean? It's fine. Yeah. And we're going to go through another situation yeah. like that. Do you think that could be happen? Or you think actually because it's been documented, it's out there, it's kind of known what happened in that situation, that it's going to be hard for us to go and... I, I feel like uh, if I had a crystal ball, I do think there, that more money will come to the table for buyers to purchase something with very little down. Yeah. Okay. More, more so than it is today. Because I think there's going to be there are going to be investors out there who will want that business. Yeah, because it's solid, isn't it? Like you know, well, you're kind of it's a niche, and that yeah. you know they're gonna they might have they might come to the table and offer something that no one's doing. Yeah, because right now there it's just not widely accepted. Although you know, little down up to you know two and three million is is possible. Like I said, there's ten percent, fifteen percent down at these levels. Yeah, which is pretty. That's a pretty low down for those sales prices. Definitely. Um, but uh, so yeah, in thirty years, I don't Who know. Knows? Yeah, you know, I think that I think that we're smarter as a as a lending culture now. Yeah, and I think if they were to mismanage like w the borrower's ability to repay, then that's that's the real trouble. Yeah. But if they can provide if they can um, provide some 
responsible underwriting mm -hmm. and look at a look at a potential buyer and and determine the credit risk, their credit history, their their income, their employment, things that they didn't really look at before yeah. when like when they were just throwing money to anyone. If they look at those things, it's less risk and generally I think that the homeowner would be less likely to walk away, yeah. which is where the real problem starts to get and they default a couple, you know, as soon as they default and they get a couple months behind, they just they just turn their back and it, yeah. it's down the bank owns this property, it's a problem. Yeah. But so I feel like that will be smarter as a lending culture yeah. it, that they'll be like, okay, we'll analyze this a little bit better. Because that's what I'm hearing, like, I don't know if you've heard this because you're probably more in that kind of financial sector, but I'm hearing big rumors that we're going to have the next economic downturn and it's actually not going to be obviously due to mortgages and the lending on this side, but it's actually going to be sparked by student loan debt Yeah. because it's kind of a weird situation yeah, yeah, yeah. where a huge amount, it's almost the same kind of thing, but obviously in a completely different way where all of these companies are throwing money at young people and saying, oh, go to this college, get yeah. this degree, and therefore you're going to have a salary of this so you can repay this back. Yeah. And it has become a bit of a weird situation where I think absolutely the, the top universities in the country and in the world are going to get you a good position. There's a huge amount of people who now leave university with a degree of this from that university, and it is not giving them the entrance to right. a job that's going to allow them the money to pay down sure. that. Yeah. There's and probably going to be a lot of student loan debt forgiven or in default. Yeah, because yeah. that's the weird thing. Because I think it's the only debt, I think, or one of the only debts you can't declare bankruptcy against. Right. Which yeah, is weird. yeah. And I think that there, there's probably, there, there will probably be regulations to combat that too. Yeah. In the, you know, because we always, you know, it's like, it's just like the housing industry and probably credit card debt and student loan debt. It's like yeah. they, the pendulum swings back and forth and it's impossible to ever get it just right. Yeah, in the middle zone where actually it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good for everyone. But that's the weird thing because a lot of other people that I was speaking to about the 2009 situation were kind of saying we, we almost put like a band-aid on it by bailing out the banks yeah. and not saying, right, well, you made a mistake, therefore we're in a capitalist environment, therefore you fail. Mm-hmm. Instead of that, they kind of said, oh, well, we can't allow this to happen. Right. But that's where I worry slightly the next one's going to be way worse almost. Because yeah, it's tough. And I, like, I, I would love to read a case study on what, I'm sure there's something, like what if we did just let it fail? Yeah. Like what would, what's the hypothesis that what, what would have happened? You know, because we don't know. But I just, I wonder. Yeah. Because you know? uh, I almost think that like it would have been a much worse, like that couple of years after it. Yeah. But right now we'd be in a better position almost. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that short term, long term. Possibly. Kind yeah. Of thing. That I kind of feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it would have been a pretty devastating blow for about twelve months or or so. Yeah. You know, but I remember when that when the crash first started. I think it was so crazy that uh, lenders weren't they weren't even taking locks. Like we, you know, if there was a couple of days or a week where really? lenders shut down. Like, we just got to figure out what is happening. What were you know, what we're doing? <laughs> because we were just point. like, we were, we were all like, as mortgage brokers, I think we were all like deer in headlights, you know, we were yeah. just stunned. And you like, your without, saying, I don't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> getting my resume together. Like, I don't know what, you know. Uh, yeah. But, um, but you know, so it's it's just, it's, it's interesting to find out what would have, what could have happened. Yeah. You know, but I do think it would have been a pretty, I think that would have happened on a drastic level. Yeah. On, you know, and for a longer amount of time, lenders would have been completely shut down. Yeah. For a while, 
and that's why the when they stepped in, they just they prevented that from happening. What would happen in that situation? Do you think? Because I don't think we've ever really seen it. At, obviously not at scale, but if a bank that has given someone a loan to for a property, and a lot of these banks are massive, multi-billion-dollar kind of entities, that entity becomes you know, liquidated and is no longer... What happens to the loan agreement with that owner? Is it suddenly like they're just handed the property? Well, uh, so that you mean if the bank... If the bank... The bank goes out of business. Yeah. If they're not bailed out by the government and they're just like, look, we've got no money, right. we're closing our doors tomorrow, everyone's fired. What happens then to that money that's kind of been loaned out to those individuals? I, you know, that... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Be a, I mean, like a... a a good question yeah. for a real estate attorney, but um, I'm sure the homeowner would have they they would lean towards the homeowner. Yeah, or they'd like scenario. say, "Can you just it, reduce the debt or something like yeah, that?" Yeah, and that that actually debt. happened quite. That was also you know the loan modifications were very prevalent. Yeah, after all that, okay, um, probably in an effort to keep the homeowner or to keep yeah, the house. they reduced the rates on certain ones because they Absolutely. were like, "Look, we don't want you just to not pay us. We'd rather take a little bit less." profit on this and yeah. make sure that we're not losing it happened that. that was yeah we um they uh they would reduce rates as low as one or two percent and even put the property tax de yeah. delinquencies on the back end of the loan so that the homeowner could literally just get their payment to a manageable level okay yeah so that's going to be a fascinating one yeah because i think that's going to be a really interesting play what do you think about so we've also been playing around the idea a lot because obviously like I'm very into technology in the mm -hmm. future and we've had these discussions I think where I'm kind of like where I see our industry going. I felt re recently a really interesting one was the Facebook announcement of their new cryptocurrency. Did you see that? No. Okay, so they basically said that they're now going to create their own kind of Bitcoin or crypto and it's going to be available on Facebook for people to trade things. Okay. And that's where it's a weird one because I think... I think governments are going to stop crypto from becoming the US dollar or whatever that's yes. going to be because obviously they lose a massive Absolutely. amount of control. Absolutely. But equally, I think fast forward, I don't know how long, maybe 100 years or something like that, using crypto to purchase a property actually has a massive amount of benefits because you actually don't have to be like, where's the funds? You're transferring it to that person's account. It's all like documented within the process. Yeah. And so that's a weird one where I look at like my job and I'm like, Okay, well, if some owner wants to sell their house, they could literally sell, set like a crypto, this yeah. is what I want to get for it. Mm -hmm. Because we now have smartphones, take pictures or whatever, 3D map a property, put it online. And effectively, someone can transfer that money and it's almost its own contract yeah. in that. So me doing like the negotiation level, yes, until technology somehow kind of takes that on. But do you think, is there ever any kind of whispers or anything like that in the mortgage industry where people are like, oh? crypto and you know how people actually trade the only thing that uh, um, I've seen is that the lenders will accept money sourced from crypto okay but they won't so actually take, take the, crypto. the crypto but it, but so that's a pretty giant step yeah. for the mortgage industry that they'll use funds like sourced from crypto yeah but I haven't uh, seen or heard anything about like actually cryptocurrency and loans and I'm sure that it wouldn't be widespread. No. Um, most of these institutions lender, who are lending money, that's their that's all they've done. Yeah. So it would have to be this cutting edge financial you know, fine tech type of a thing. Yeah. With coming to the table. Which I do think is possible. Yeah. Um, and I, I could see it happening. 
I mean, have you seen have you seen transactions like HomeSpot using crypto? We've seen like you know you get the and I think at the moment because it's still very early days. Yeah. But I think we've seen the ones where um, realtors will list a property and they say, "Oh, Bitcoin will be accepted." Okay. And it was a bit more. I think when was it like eighteen months ago when Bitcoin and crypto was all over the press everywhere. Yeah. And it soared up to like nineteen thousand yeah. dollars a Bitcoin. Yeah. Where I think that was kind of they were playing off that environment where obviously there was a huge amount of like probably tech guys mm -hmm. who bought some Bitcoin you know ten years ago. Yeah. And then have been like, oh my god, you know, I've got this all sitting in an account right now. Maybe I could just buy a house with it. Yeah. And so I think they were going after that a little bit, but I definitely haven't seen. What I found quite interesting is actually like, I think it could affect our international market quite well, or not well, but yeah, in, a, in a very weird way. Yeah. yeah. Because at the moment, I know that LA had a huge amount of Chinese buyers that were buying property mm -hmm. here kind of five years ago. Yeah. And it was when China is kind of doing well, and a lot of these Chinese families and businesses were making insane money. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'm going to buy a place in LA. So yeah. a lot of the high priced properties were going to those kinds of buyers. Yeah. I think the Chinese government then put in a restriction saying, every Chinese individual cannot take more than $50,000 out of China every year. So we had some creative ones, I think, where it was like families of 25, yeah. all like putting their 50 grand together and doing it. Yeah. But if that goes into a crypto world, that's you can't control. It's not regulated, yeah. so. Yeah. It's so basically it's like, oh, if that person makes crypto in that, in that country, they could literally just transfer it to someone else's account in exchange for that property. Yeah. So it almost seems to me like, Again, it could take hundred years to get to that point, but there's going to be a lot of like change. I feel like that that, that will happen, and probably, it, you know, based on what we know about how fast technology goes, yeah. it won't be a hundred years. It you know it happen a lot sooner. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you'll be in by the time you're done with your career, yeah. you will have done many crypto deals. You know, hopefully. Yeah. You know, but I think it would um, it would definitely make things easier, and I and I also saw like. Um, uh, I watched your uh, podcast with a colossal um, with Philip Rooms. Yeah, with Philip. Yeah, I thought that was great, and you know they brought up a good point. Like the next couple of years will help really determine, you know, how the upper high end, you know, fifty million, hundred million, two million, hundred, two hundred million dollar properties will yeah. will sell, and how that will do. And LA could be the market for that. Yeah. And I think if it's going to use foreign money, you know, I think there might be some creative solutions to get that foreign money into, you know, to buying property here. Definitely. Um, so Especially I, now as it feels like community through the internet across the world is just so much more interlinked. Absolutely. So you can do business with anyone across the world ever. So yeah, that person buying that 50 million could be from anywhere in the world. It's yeah. not like, oh, well, I grew up in LA. This is my neighbor. Therefore, I want the, the property yeah. here. And as sellers become more savvy, you know, the buyers, you know, like as buyers and sellers become more savvy yeah. and, you know i think they'll be willing to take crypto or you know other currencies yeah you know and i think that's you know that's probably going to happen sooner than later yeah i yeah. think you're right yeah the only that's where i see it because i think the weird thing is i think also technology though advances at this insanely like it's accelerating how fast it's coming out yeah however society like human beings like things the way they know them and they're not always open to like testing something out or change. Right. And so it's almost like the technology is going there and it kind of drags human beings almost along totally. behind it. Yeah. yeah. Which is quite yeah. fascinating because I can imagine the amount of restrictions that are going to be like put in on that at some stage and probably Absolutely. release slowly. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the, there's also protection of like 
Anyway, we're getting into some deep crypto stuff here. Maybe we should do that on a separate like podcast thing. <laughs> yeah. But that that actually pinged in my head. So, with those kind of high price properties, and we've seen some insane ones, especially maybe not compared to New York and some other major cities, but LA didn't have the biggest sales prices around in the US. And we have actually over the last like five years, it seems, seen a massive amount of these ones being built that are like a hundred mil plus. Mm-hmm. You know, we had one that hit the market at 250 million. Uh, we've got one that's apparently under construction right now at 500 million in Bel Air. Um, when you're dealing with mortgages, do you ever see those deals? No. What? Because like, I presume those people are buying cash. Or cash or they're getting money from private resources or and private then, banks. Okay. And, but because the, I, I do get looks at loans that possibly can go as high as 7, 10 million. Okay. But... Um, but most of the lenders that that I work with are that you know they're they're you know a hundred to ten million or twenty million. Um, we just don't see a lot of those. Uh, but I, I will say that I have a few investors who will probably entertain anything because it's on those loans. It's a lot of it's going to be fifty percent, yeah. you know, fifty um, percent loan to value or even less. Yeah. You know and with that kind of equity in in the game they might have resources for that kind of money yeah but um generally the private investors who are who are doing you know loans on things of that nature cross loans bridge loans no documentation loans for investment properties things like that you know they're not really they don't have a fund that can handle you know that a fifth, yeah, that size. Yeah, because that's that's all their kind of equity exactly. into one deal, yeah, which exactly. is massive risk. Yeah, yeah, because that is, but that is quite an interesting trend. I think that you see the people that buy the most expensive tend to buy them cash, right? And then the people that are buying the cheapest stuff buys it with a loan, and yeah. it kind of makes me think. You know, obviously, you need to have a huge amount of cash to do that. But what about refinancing? Do you see that side of it at all ever, where someone buys a twenty million dollar house cash? And then a couple of years later, it's like, oh, I want to liquidate some of the equity out of that. And then we'll refinance a couple of million. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. 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 But it's never where they're kind of taking out a majority almost against. Yeah. No, that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't really happen often. No. Okay. Yeah. Because that's where I look at it. Because, I, I mean, I sometimes go over these properties. I'm like, for 500 million. I mean, you're buying a property for 500 million, which in itself is an insane amount of money. Yeah. And you're paying like one and a quarter percent property tax every year. Yeah. Which is going to be absolutely five and a half Crazy. million yeah. plus. And then you're obviously having to maintain it. You're having to like, it is actually insane kind of yeah. what that can be. Yeah. Well, you know, those, those guys, those, those homeowners have uh, family offices, you know, yeah. and they're just, they, those, they probably have money. They could margin and, you know, borrow off of yeah. you know so it's just a whole different um lending strategy yeah it's actually interesting i don't know if you saw the podcast i did with jesse harrison harrison design uh-uh. he actually said he builds homes for quite a few like high profile family clients in like homey hills and those kinds of areas and he said quite a few of them like design the property build it out and then they literally are turning around to him like three years later and they're like i'm just throwing money into a pit here because it's almost like they have their area of the property yeah. and they have their like uh, people that work for them's quarters 
and then they're having to like they're barely using it yeah that is another thing i find which yeah. is quite hilarious yeah they're there is. for like two weeks a year yeah and then they're coming back and they're like oh now we've got an issue with the roof or like whatever it is and it just seems to be constant yeah that they're kind of doing that thing so i'm always wondering how does that play out like with because it does seem that we've got a bit of a gluttony of those highly priced properties in the market yeah. right now yeah but i have heard actually also that quite a, there's been quite a few high price purchases over the last like six months yeah. So we'll see if that's maybe like some indication. Of, yeah. That's fascinating. Because actually, yeah, the big one actually I really noticed in the press was, um, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, Chicago, and he bought the most expensive one in New York, 200 million, 240 million oh, I think wow. it was. And then he also, three days earlier, bought the most expensive one in London, which was 98 million pounds. Wow. And so I was looking at him, I'm like, okay, this guy's got some serious financial knowledge in his head because he runs a VC firm. Yeah. And is a, I think he's worth like 14 billion. So what is he seeing in the economy where he's looking at two big trophy assets and putting his money into them? Yeah, I, you know, like I question, I question that too. Yeah. And like, because how, who's going to buy that? Yeah. You know, that's maybe there's there are you know that level out there. Yeah. But um, suppose it's a good place for him to put the money. Yeah. For some. For, for strategic reasons. Yeah, and then I suppose he could liquidate it kind of and still hold the assets there. Yeah. But yeah, it does, to me, I'm like, what am I not seeing here? But maybe, you know, maybe he knows something and there are, there will be buyers yeah. that come to the table and if he does want to sell in 10 years, yeah. maybe he doesn't have a plan to sell. But On that, and obviously I want everyone listening out there to realize that this is completely like personal and only based on your kind of knowledge and you yeah. can't predict the future. But do you think that right now is a good time to buy in LA? Well, for sure, from an interest rate standpoint. Yeah. Um, because if you buy, it, let's say the rates, um, the rates are probably gonna hold steady for the next year. Yeah. Okay, or year and a half. Okay. You know, with some, you know, variance, plus or minus a quarter or maybe. But if the property values go up 4%, Yeah. 3% or 4% in that year. Yeah. You know, now would be a good time to buy. Definitely. You know, it, like, so I, I think it makes sense. But I, historically speaking, rates are, again, they're still at the very lows. The best they've been. Absolutely. Because um, I, I do have a lot of clients who turn around to me, and it's actually become less than it probably was eight months ago, where they're kind of saying, look, I'm going to, I see, you know, the, the market's been so strong for like the last 10 years yeah. and so therefore you know we're going to have to have a crash at some point yeah. and so I think it's because of the time frame in their heads they're like oh well you know there's some economic turmoil every 10 years kind of thing so yeah. we're owed one well you know I also I've, my theory on that is uh, there's always been a buyer in every market yeah. and there's every single market you yeah. know it doesn't matter but if you just are a savvy buyer I mean, if you're buying the most expensive house on the block, yeah. you might not have a lot of room to grow unless that's a developing street and they're, re they're building those, redoing a lot of properties on that street, and they're going to be more expensive. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're hip to that knowledge, it might be a sane investment. You know, where even if there's a market crash, you're kind of protected a little bit. Yeah. But if you, but LA, you know, LA is a monster, yeah. and there's so many different areas and pockets that are that have so much potential. Hundred percent. So that's what I think. If you're if you're a buyer and you 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 do some homework and you're savvy and you understand the neighborhood and, and the, the, what's happening in the neighborhood yeah. and the street, you know if you can see, it makes I, I you know I even 
I was like, look at it at the micro and find the good deal. Don't look at it like macro. Yeah. Or we're gonna... Yeah, because, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's a little different, you know. And I mean, yeah. even during the crash, I mean, people were buying and selling in these areas. And I, most of, I'm, I'm grateful most of my transactions are done from like the ocean to downtown. And, yeah. But within that, there are a lot of great areas Hancock Park and Beverly Hills. They were, you know, through the recession, through the crash, yeah. people were buying and selling yeah. because they had to. Definitely, they were moving up. Yeah, they, you know they saw opportunities. So it just goes up the, you know, if, if you, whether it goes up the chain or down, you know, yeah. down doesn't matter. So my opinion is that even it, it, even if there is a recession or if there if there is an adjustment, you know, you could still find value and yeah. good investments. Hold on to it for an extra year. Yeah. Plus, yeah. you know, if you're if you're a homeowner, mm -hmm. if you have that mindset of a homeowner, also you might be there for ten years yeah. and. So I would be com entirely comfortable if I found a home with a family yeah. or a significant other, and I wanted to. It had no intention of making a quick buck. I'm yeah. good, you know. I've got my home, and I'm and that's it. I think that's also an interesting trend as well. Is that homeowners now are very used to? It's almost like the the asset they're buying. They're almost like, oh well, it needs to make like five percent a year kind of thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like they're so used to it now it's, yeah. that it's become like, oh well. I'm buying a house and like someone said that to me the other day and I was like well they were like oh well, what happened if I buy it and then the economy is not great for a couple of years right. I was like well you could just live in it yeah because that's actually really why you're buying it. yeah it's almost they look at it as like I'm buying my dream home or the home that I'm gonna live in as well as this asset thing. yeah and it's yeah. almost like if that's not there then this doesn't matter right which is quite odd because I'm yeah. like you are buying a house because you want to live in it you yeah. do realize that it's not like you're taking out stock or you right know, which is right. kind of a crazy one. So that's going to be, I think that'll be, yeah, because also the other thing that you were saying with LA there, which I find really fascinating, is it is almost like eight cities next to each other. Because mm -hmm. whenever I would sell property in London, the centre of London is most expensive, and then it almost ripples out from there. Yeah. And LA is not like that. Because when my wife first moved to LA in 2009, that was, she moved downtown. And downtown LA, I came from London, and I'm like, Oh, it's the middle of London. Yeah. Like it's going to be the middle of LA. It's going to yeah. be the same. It's going to be where everyone is, yeah. and everyone goes there for the night time. And and then I was there in 2009. I'm like, <laughs> six o'clock, and everyone's yeah, it's like a concrete like yeah. jungle with like yeah. no one here. Right. And so it does become a bit of an odd one where, you know, you buy in that one market that has you know is going to emerge. It's not like LA is just one market. Right. It's like, okay, well, you bought in Beverly Hills when the prices had done 10% in Beverly Hills over the last year, right. as opposed to you bought in Hancock Park where prices were a bit lower and actually hadn't been going up, but now they're really... Yeah. So that's where I find it quite difficult sometimes to... And there's, there's always those, um, uh, you know, single properties that, that are kind of trophy properties yeah. or something that's been redone and it's done tastefully. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's really has, has a lot of appeal, yeah. you know? And so someone, a buyer, LA is an interesting market because people will put money into it. You know, they almost don't care about the neighborhood. Yeah. They're buying the house yeah. for the house, you know? So that you have those types of buyers too. Definitely. You know? Um, Especially with like the Hollywood history ones you get here as well. Yeah. This was this person's old house. Yeah. And yeah. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, that's a whole, that's a whole, LA has a lot of that yeah. in every, every area. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And actually, and yeah, you're right. Cause that's the other thing that's quite weird is that it's almost like different areas have different yeah, reasons people have moved there. It's like right. you get that kind of 
the kind of Hancock Park area has got a lot of like music industry people, and then you've got you know Venice, which is kind of a bit more of your like artistic mm-hmm. thing. But they've had Snapchat move in. You've got Beverly Hills, where it's yeah massive estate lots, and yeah. it is it's so. But that's actually was when I first moved from London, I was like, you know what I'm gonna miss is the history kind of side of it because LA is obviously an oldish city, but yeah. it's you know 100, 150 years old really most of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas London's like a couple of thousand years old. Yeah. So I'd be walking around some properties and it's like 400 years old. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, it's going to be weird when I'm in LA. And they just knock everything down, rebuild right. it. You yeah. know, there's not as much of that. But what I've actually been drawn to massively is that whole side of it. Because you get, oh, this musician lived here for this many years. Oh, this person built this house. And because of the Hollywood and mm-hmm. that kind of, because it's a global thing. Yeah. Everyone across the world knows yeah. actors' names and whatever it is. Like that was... Yeah, it's almost weird. I'd love to actually maybe do a study on that. Is what does a actor or a famous person's name do to the price of property? <laughs> right. Yeah. If right. that person lived here, does that add an extra ten percent or not? Or yeah. Is that is... I'm sure there's some appeal. You know, I guess it it it's different for everyone. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's look good. at the look at just take a look at how a property's marketed. Yeah. You know, they're always they're almost always led with that. They are, you know, like, whatever it may be. Unless the client is the current, you know, person with that name, and then for some reason they're like, oh, yeah. I want my privacy kind yeah. of thing. Then they'll. Then the celebrity is. Then it'll say celebrity owned yeah. house for sale. You yeah. know, things like that. Yeah, I did one on Tuesday actually. That was Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. 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 And so I'm walking around it, and as soon as I walk in the door, the agent's like, oh, well, and Brad and Jennifer were here. Yeah. And like obviously they won't <laughs> be aware of that yeah. because then there's some kind of. But then also, I don't know if that one's going to have that much history as much. Right. As, you know. Actually, there was a, one that I really liked. I went to one of the old school, um, I think it was on the market at the time for about 110 million. It was a massive estate, incredibly dated, back from like the 40s where, um, you know, it was kind of the heyday of Hollywood. But it actually had a, in one of the closets, had a secret door that led downstairs to what was a... Um, bar during prohibition uh-huh. and so obviously this right. person had built like a bar and in the inside of the door I had charlie chaplin's signature oh wow yeah so i was, wondering, yeah. I was like this is like that's yeah. classic i'd buy yeah. the house if i had the money just for Absolutely. that kind of thing. yeah because yeah, you got the extra okay so um what is it like being a mortgage broker day to day because presumably now you're you know quite far in your career you're at that level where actually you're kind of overseeing people more than doing the actual transactions as much yeah, I try to. Yeah. Yeah, I try not to be in the transaction okay. at all. Um, but I, I am. I have to be. Um, you're kind of, because you're the kind of, you're uh, responsible for it, but the actual kind of actions, you're kind of making sure that these people are yeah. doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, where I spend a lot of time with lead generation, Yeah. Um, follow-ups, then current clients, you know, current escrows. Yeah. Um, and I have to, you know, I'm, I'm a little OCD in the sense I like to, I'm, I'm a, I'm usually in the file probably more than I should be. Cause right. I, I, I just, you know, I want it to be done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, everything's a sense of urgency with me. It probably drives my, you know, the team I work with, it probably drives them crazy. Yeah. But, um, micromanaging them. So. Well, yeah, I don't, yeah. But I also, <laughs> I just kind of like, on one hand, I'm definitely not a, uh, I've always said that I, I, I don't like looking at conditions no. and doing the paperwork. That's not my strong suit. No. That's not where I, I like to spend my time. Yeah. But I, I do like, but, but I, I'm, 
I'm cursed because I just want it to be done so badly yeah. that I will for I'll have to go through and look at it all to see if there's anything. But if I feel like a file's been handled okay and time-wise we're doing fine, I usually just try to let it. I try to let it go, let it go. and I keep in contact with the client. Have as, you got better at that? As yeah, you go, yeah. Because I think yeah. when you first probably are going from doing literally taking the transaction through the entire process to then you do that must be like <laughs> yeah. a really difficult. Yeah. Well, it's funny because my I, one of yeah the very one of the, the very first loans I was I got like the loan approval and these conditions. And of course, I had no idea what I was doing, so I called up my processor and I was like, "Hey, can we go over these conditions?" Yeah. And uh, she was like, "Okay." So I started going through one by one. You know, like yeah. this, like what? The, and uh, she was like, "Are we gonna do this on every loan?" <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, uh, "I don't know. Are we? Like, <laughs> yeah, do yeah. we?" This is the know. first time handing it off to you. So. But times, you know, I've come a long way since then. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't I don't do that much, but uh, sometimes I won't even look at an approval. Okay. But like really, you know, like the best thing about my job is um, uh, is building is the connection. Yeah. You know, is building relationships and having those relationships. Um, and I think I, I think I'm at my best if I'm not at my desk. You know, having to sort through conditions. Although sometimes I do, I need to step in and handle the condition with the client okay. because it can still get pretty tiresome yeah. on the client side and they're just over it, you know, yeah. so I have to help them through that process. So your Monday, you wake up in the morning, you've got those kind of uh, clients or connections and relationships that you're kind of meeting for a breakfast meeting. Is that kind of where it is? You're popping into the office a couple of times a day. Try, yeah. 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 So on the phone, um, making phone calls. Yeah follow-ups, trying to see people as much as I can, like, you know, how I met you. I think I, you know, reached out several times to yeah. try to get a face-to-face. -face. Definitely. And that's what, that's all, it, that's what it is. It's like the actual face-to-face -face yeah. or the first contact, the follow-up, tracking it. Have you ever felt yourself, like, burnt out with that slightly? Because I've, I've had, like, not that I have been burnt out, but I've definitely had those feelings sometimes. And I think we're doing it probably in a bit of a different way where we're like following up with leads yeah you know what i mean where it's someone you've never met you know you've got no idea apart from his name on the sheet right. but do you ever have you ever found yourself being a bit like oh my god i've got to literally just call 50 people today or like, <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah <laughs> you know i mean i think everyone i think it would be everyone's number one uh objection to doing the work is yeah. The work, yeah, you know, picking up the phone, you know, they it, can, picking up a fifty-pound phone, you know, um, that's the hardest part, I think, for a lot of people. But for me, it is too, you yeah. know. But you know, once the momentum starts to go and you know things start to happen, it works. But I get burnt out, and every now and then I have to take a break or really? you know, do a staycation or go somewhere. But you know, it's all like if if we we work in an industry where if we want to pay raise. We just we have to do we got to make more phone calls or yeah. we got to we got to close more deals or we have to do things like there's that. There's no just you impress that boss and right. then that boss gives you the, the like right. you know, the way up in your thing. You're yeah. only done on your transactional. Yeah. But yeah. So you know we're in that biz. I'm in that realm and um, so I I have to you know remember that. So if there are people out there thinking if you know from what you've just said Tony, I'd actually like to explore being a mortgage broker. Yeah. You have to be one of those people that's like self motivated. Would you say? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, just being good at building relationships. Yeah. Um, because as a, as a mortgage broker, you gotta be, you gotta know the market. I mean the industry, Yeah. you know, and know your rates and programs and the matrix of lenders. So you could identify opportunities 
know what you're know what you're doing. Yeah. But I think a lot of it is uh, you know networking and and getting the f meetings with the realtors and and business managers, CPAs, attorneys. Yeah. You know having that having that uh, lined up. So if you if you really are brand new, that's that's the best ways to well the best ways to work with another mortgage. Yeah. Uh, broker, it's a kind of broker on yeah. their team, even okay. if you have to start with chasing conditions, yeah, you know, and all that, because that's how you'll learn the business, and then from there you'll just grow. Yeah, because otherwise, I suppose if you try to do it yourself, kind of thing, you're trying to learn and actually like see the day to day of like and work out what you're trying to do. Plus, you're having to like yeah. try and be face to face as many. Yeah, and the the barrier to entry in the mortgage industry has has really become a more difficult. Yeah. Uh, before it wasn't. Before you just need a real estate license, and you know anyone, almost anyone could get a job as long as someone's willing to hire them. Now yeah. you have to, you have your NMLS license. You got to pass it, that test. It's a, yeah. it's a lot more rigorous than than it was before. And then also, um, lenders are really protected because they they can't. You know, you don't want to put someone in a, in a precarious position, but you know you can't present faulty loans or. Uh, no one wants to bring that to the table, so they re the loan officers are held to higher accountability and higher yeah. standards. Yeah. Okay. So that's another thing. But uh, again, it it's does not to sound discouraging because it's really the barrier to entry isn't that great. I mean, you you get your license, you work for someone, you you learn the business. Yeah. You do. You get up early. You stay late. You do what you have to do. You can be successful at anything. You know. Have you ever seen a mortgage broker who's like not good at that face to face thing but has been successful? Yeah, actually, you know, um, I know you know guys who really do great uh, in front of their computers, making phone calls yeah. or just yeah. Emails they like to phone. be in their little zone. Yeah. But actually, like the volume of work they can put out is. Massive. Sometimes that's just their yeah. Okay. Um, and it works. Yeah. You know, it can work for some people. You know, it's funny. Like a lot of times, I would prefer to meet with people, yeah. homeowner, uh, uh, buy uh, borrowers, prospects, agents, but almost. You know, eighty percent of the time, ninety percent of the time, no one can meet or has time or wants yeah. to. Um, you know, so a lot of times they're, they're quite content with just, hey, I know you're there, I'll give you a call, um, rather than me saying, let's go have a lunch or yeah. something. And then I'm savvy. I'm, I I understand that. You yeah, know, and people are like compressing their time down. They need to like yeah get as much as they can. Yeah. So a lot of times it's just better. In and I find that the it's really more difficult to meet with borrowers. They're they're really just more interested in getting the loan approved. Yeah. But I do like to meet with them, uh, if possible. Yeah. Yeah. Because I suppose yeah during that process that you're it's not they're excited about buying a house because obviously they're thinking like oh I'm gonna be in this house da, 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 da. the mortgage side of it generally I find for a lot of most of our buyers is not they're not that ex they know they have to do it yeah but it's not like when I have the conversation with them, they're like, oh, when can I move in? Yes. Oh, I'm going to do this with that room and this. Yeah. And I suppose when you're having those conversations, it's more like, congratulations, we got the loan approved. Yeah. But they're a bit like, okay, well, I was expecting that kind right. of thing. A well, bit. and it's also hard. To, sometimes you, those, they just don't want to deal with the paperwork. Yeah. And that's really the biggest, probably one of the biggest obstacles really? to getting a loan done. Yeah. yeah. It is weird, isn't it? How people sit down and they don't like like signing things or like reading through I mean how many of your clients when you're dealing with them do you think actually read through the entire thing of like point no, no, no. one a <laughs> <laughs> like I did a loan for an attorney recently 
and they they're the only ones that will ever read through <laughs> anything. Yeah, yeah. So nobody else does because they don't you know, want to put that name on something. Absolutely, like, oh, and yeah. just it's just like clockwork. You know, I I got an email. He wanted to like add an ident, you know, a paragraph to one oh, of really? the disclosures. Yeah, you know, I was like, just yeah, put it. In fact, in. yeah, that's hilarious actually because we did a transaction in um, San Francisco last year actually for a client who bought a really beautiful property there. The seller was a lawyer. And so the lawyer, they were moving to another state. And so literally the uh, agent representing the seller was freaking out. So he was like, I've never had anyone request this, but what he is wanting is an addendum saying that if for any reason your client sues him for some reason, you know, they, you know, there's an issue with the property they didn't disclose or anything like that, that any of that legal work has to go on in, I think it was Wisconsin. So they were moving to. Wow. And I was like, I literally told my client, I'm like, look, I don't think this is like good, but to be honest, like they're turning around and just saying like, we're not going to agree this offer unless yeah. you, you do this. And I'm like, yeah. the worst comes to the worst. You're going to have to get on a plane and go to Wisconsin yeah. to like go to trial if right. that happens. And they were like, I mean, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. But yeah. It was the one lawyer who was like, I don't want to be pulled back to San Francisco right. when, you know, something well, goes on. And the other, the other thing is that, that that's a real painstaking process is, um, Whenever someone gets a loan, refinance or purchase, yeah. the lenders, it's kind of absurd in a way, because if you're a lender, it's like, what is, they look at the last two months of bank statements, for example, yeah. and they look, and they, they'll look at every, basically the line item, if there's any, you know, large deposits that are coming in, yeah. they want to make sure that they source that and make sure that's coming from an acceptable source. Yeah. But. It's not drug money or. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's, it, in, in a lot of respects, it's for fraud protection. Yeah. Absolutely, like you know, illegal money, yep. you know, uh, but things that things that are legit. But to a homeowner, to a buyer who's basically um, not, who's innocent, yep. you know, it's just a person. You know, they look at everything, and they'll, you know, if a transaction takes three months, that means they look at three months bank statements. They'll yep. look at every, you know, and that's the worst part because now it's like someone has to explain certain things all the time, like so. And that's what's unfortunate, that like they'll look at a deposit. Like, what's where did this five thousand dollar deposit come from? And, and you yeah. have to explain it. So we have to get a copy of the check, of the deposit, wow. and uh, explain where it came from. And that has to that has to occur uh, quite often. So almost you have someone looking over your shoulder when you're going through the transaction. But it's only for the month. It's only for those, those months, months that you're buying yeah. the house. Like, so you know if it it makes sense, but it doesn't. You know, like they should. If why not look at. Yeah three years, you know, like if they want to like really good for illegal, find illegal activity. Well, and but, the other side as well, I suppose, is that because we always tell our clients, like when you get into escrow, don't just be like, oh, well, I've got my offer agreed, I'm in escrow and go and buy a new car. Oh, yeah. Because like it's going to affect your credit score if yeah. you're taking out like, you know, because that, that's another thing that's quite weird, isn't it? It's almost like you need to be coached during like a couple of month period. Absolutely. To like just live a very boring, straightforward it's life. It's true. And it's really also one of the biggest benefits to getting the to, to getting pre-approved from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Just if you're talking about buying a property and you're serious, yeah. then uh, there's no other way, there's no other place to start than getting pre-approved. Yeah. And at least having a conversation, but running credit is is really necessary in yeah. most cases. Okay. No, I like that a lot because that's what we always tell our clients, but a lot of them, again, it goes back to that thing where they're excited to go and do the showings, yeah. but actually going through, filling out the paperwork and getting the pre-approval I mean, there's been points where I'm like, look, we're not doing any more showings unless you go get pre-approved because yeah. it's a waste of my time, it's your time. You know, 
actually the, re the reason I normally give my buyers, which is actually completely why we always say to them, please get pre-approved before we do showings, is because the amount of times when it's a good property and it's just hit the market and you go and have a look at it and you want to buy it, there's going to be a couple of other people who want the same thing. Yeah. And so if they're putting their offers in with a pre-approval and you're spending like two, three days getting word back that you're pre-approved, yeah. you lose the property. Yeah. And so it's almost like putting all of your cards in a row in a position where you can just pull the trigger right. as opposed to being like, oh, I do like that one actually. Now what do I need to do? Uh, yeah. Someone else got it. Yeah. 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 It's a weird one. Absolutely. And also just to know, even if it's a six month plan, to know, you know, because you're right, you, you don't want to, if you don't want to charge up cards no. in the before you close escrow, yeah. you know you don't want to buy a new car before you close escrow or lease a new car, or um, obviously you don't want to change jobs. But these are things that people really take for granted, yeah. um, and they get pre-approved and things might change. Yeah. So it's you know I you know, like we do our best to have these conversations up up front, so make sure that there's no financial changes between now and when they open escrow yeah. on something. That makes me think we need to create a video now, Tony, of you just sitting there being like, right, you've got into escrow, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Don't do this, 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 it's this, true. this, this. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people are like, they'll ask the questions occasionally, but no one has like a, yeah. let's go and actually do that. And, often, and also there's credit, like credit strategy. So if their FICO score is a little low and yeah. they want to get it up, then we can discuss how to do that. And yeah, it's always like you take out a credit card, put like a very small charge on it or something. Well, make sure it's like paid it's, off ahead of time and things the, that I mean, that, that, that helps over time. Okay. But uh, like if they have if they carry if they have a credit card and it carries a balance yeah. the five thousand dollar limit yeah. and they carry a forty five hundred dollar balance yeah all they got to do is pay it down to about ten or twenty percent of the five thousand and that will kind of and the score, score could jump up and really we have access to uh, it's called a what if what if simulator yeah so I could play around with credit anyone's credit so you, as soon as I pull it. I can say if you paid this down or did this, did that, You'll be your, this your score will go up to this. Wow! Yeah. And at the moment, is it kind of seven fifties where you're kind of that's the gateway to your open to every kind of mortgage at that point? Oh no! I mean, you know, it, there are, no. I, you could do see the the you. I mean, technically, there are lenders who don't have a minimum credit score. Yeah. But or maybe it's a six twenty minimum or okay. six eighty. Um, the tier there, each tier provides probably a better interest rate, or yeah. um, or requires more down, or you know certain other restrictions. Yeah. But oftentimes, if someone has a six, even if I tell you I could do a loan for with a five fifty credit score, even if I were to say that, yeah. Which I really don't even go around talking about it much because if someone has a five eighty credit score, yeah. And there's a lender who will do a loan on a five eighty credit score. Yeah. Chances are they have some things going on with their credit yeah. that need to be addressed. So it's not it's not based on just the FICO score or the credit score. It's based on what's happening, what's going on. Yeah. They might have 10 open collections. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we may have to address each one of those collections. They would have to pay the collection, close it, yeah. so before we can do a loan, regardless of the credit score. Okay. So it's a real tricky thing to lead with a credit score yeah. because it... It's actually, I mean, even if someone has a 720 credit score and they have a judgment, you yeah, know, it's possible. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so we can't even, this credit score alone won't get them the loan. It, they have to address certain items that are on the credit. So if someone out there is listening right now and they're thinking, right, if I'm, you know, I want to buy a house in three years, what would, what should be the target for them to kind of hit with their credit score if they're checking on it? If they want the, if they, if they really want the very best, best options. and, you know, they could do a 740, 740. plus, um, 
But I mean, even if they had a seven hundred credit score, yeah, compared to a seven forty, just to, let's just be general yeah. with it on a, on a macro level. The interest rate could be an eighth less or an eighth more, yeah. or okay. maybe it may not. You know, just depends an eighth or a quarter more. Okay, given on that day. So that's crazy. So. Yeah, that's really interesting. What about trends with that? So have you seen lenders who have actually, you know, are reducing the the height of the credit score needed to, you know, have certain products? In some that cases, yeah, that that does, you know, like I have, a, you know, lenders, I think their threshold 680. I mean, anything above a 680, it, it's going to be most. It's the same. Available. It's the same. Okay. Whether it's an 800 or a six, it doesn't matter what your score is. Okay. They won't. Um, but most Fannie, like most of the conventional conforming, you know, FHA, any of those um, loans, they are, the matrix exists and they have credit score ranges. So if your score is between 600 and 620, yeah. there's a this much of an add-on. Yeah. 621 to 650, there's this much of an add-on and, it, and it, it's like that. Okay. And that, that's almost all, that's almost for all lenders. Okay. But, the, but they can adjust it. So, you know, like... Um, they they can reduce the credit score, you know, and lower the hit. Okay. And that's yeah, yeah. that's possible. Okay. That's yeah. it. What about the trend that we kind of because there's a lot of people that say you know when you pull the credit score, it actually affects your credit score slightly when you check on it. Yeah. Do you? Because I hear a little bit mixed on that. People are like, oh, don't worry, we can check your credit score and it's not really going to affect it. But it is a kind of situation I think when you're checking it rat rat. Uh, quite a few times in a small time period. Yeah, it works. It works like this. Um, generally, if someone pull, if a mortgage company pulls credit, there it, it'll the inquiry shows up. Yeah. But the, the it won't affect the credit score for thirty to forty five days. Um, so it gives the the borrower an opportunity to shop for a loan without their credit score being impacted. So if someone were to apply to five different lenders in one week, their credit score won't go down because of that. Okay. Like right during that time period. But after that time? Perhaps, yeah, it can. But another thing to consider is um, the factor that goes into, the, the each credit score has a bunch of factors mm -hmm. that affect the score. Yeah. Good credit history, the extent of the credit, how many credit cards are debt, you know, things, a, a lot of factors. Recent late payments. Um, if they... Um, Mortgage companies can have a less, lesser factor yeah. on the credit score. Yeah. So even if the, when the inquiry hits their credit, it might not even impact their score. Okay. I mean, it could be a point or two. The factor is a small amount. Okay. But if they were to apply to five different um, credit cards mm -hmm. or five different car loans, yeah. think direct sources of money that are that are, um, you know, um, department store cards, things yeah. like that, that will have an immediate impact. And those the weight on the, for those are, are greater, so it could have a greater impact on the credit score. I see. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Okay, we'll be chatting actually for an hour and almost an hour and twenty minutes. No and way. Yeah, it's oh like my. time just goes, yeah. isn't it? When we're like That's chatting. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's probably a good time to wrap it up because actually, I think we could just be here, sat here chatting for the yeah. next four hours. <laughs> so, um, so Tony, if you if anyone's out there and they're thinking, you know, they want to actually get some more information about potentially getting a loan, getting a mortgage. Is that the kind of thing you have? Is that initial conversation with a lot of people who are buyers? Yeah, I love yeah. talking to absolutely. And LA is kind of your main market. Uh, you do California. I do California. Okay. Yeah. So you can kind of do anything in that area. Yeah. So if anyone out there wanted to contact you, they can find you on LinkedIn. I know Tony Svoboda. Yeah. How do I say it? 
Svoboda. Svoboda. Okay, yeah. I'm going to get that really good. Um, email. Have you got an email they can contact you on? Yeah, it's uh, it's T and then my last name, T-S-V-O-B-O-D-A yeah. at rpm-mtg.com. So RPM kind of mortgage. But yeah, yeah, rpm-mtg.com. Okay, awesome. Um, so guys, if anyone is out there, if you have questions about potentially getting a loan, what are the kind of price points that you kind of specialize in or would be happy kind of well as well. as i as i mentioned my average loan size is you know roughly seven hundred thousand yeah um so with that i and I, I i'm usually doing um uh well it's just with that i get all kinds uh i do fha but most of my loans are 10 to 20 percent down yeah on in, in the jumbo a jumbo category okay and a lot of outside the box i like to be I like the I like the difficult loans. I'd say you know, working out the kind of throw, yeah. you know because I can, any lender can do a big the same loan as a big bank. Yeah. Anyone can do it. Yeah, you know, but we but I have specialty loans and I like to I have loans that are outside the box and structure them in a way where it's actually going to make that available for someone yeah. as opposed to okay that's really cool. So guys, I want to say thank you so much to Tony for joining us. Um, it's been great to chat with you. Thanks. And so if anyone out there has any questions, reach out to me on email. Um, and then you're on social, you're doing some more social now, are you? Yeah, like I'm going to, um, you know, I, I listen to Gary Vee a lot. Oh, yeah, so I like Gary Vee. So, yeah, I've got to get on that. But I, I do I do post a lot and do some things on social media. I have a Facebook um, RPM page. Yep. It's li- off of my Facebook page. Friend me or just look me up on Facebook. Um, I do have an Instagram. It's um, it's my name, Tony Svoboda07, 07. Um, on Instagram. And I'll be posting uh, more... Um, videos and updates on the Instagram okay. and Facebook. So check me out. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. We'd love your feedback as well. So leave any comments. Let us know if you have any questions and we'll try and follow up with them. But have a great day wherever you are in the world. And I think we all know a lot more about mortgages right now. Cool. Thanks. Right. Awesome.